Hello, everyone, and welcome to Coffee with Canon. You know, today we're going to discuss personal security because all over this nation, we're seeing acts of terror, acts of violence, and people really have to be aware of their surroundings. They have to be aware of them, themselves, their own capabilities, and a physical altercation and a life or death altercation. When to not be a victim. In, in my mind, you should never be a victim. You know, once you get that victim mentality, then uh, the bad guy has it over on you. As you guys know, I'm Bill Cannon. I'm a retired 27-year veteran of the NYPD, retired out of Manhattan North Homicide Squad. I did many years on the street. I had six and a half years in anti-crime, which was one of the elite units on the NYPD, which they don't have, unfortunately, anymore because of politics. But one of the things I wanted to focus on was the Kaliville Synagogue hostage-taking and attempted terrorist attack. Because one of the things that the rabbi, Rabbi Charlie Cintron Walker, noted and spoke about to the press and to everyone else is that his training and his unwillingness to be a victim is what saved himself and the other four hostages. Granted, there was hostage negotiators negotiating for almost 11 hours with this terrorist. Uh, his name was Malik Faisal Akram, who turns out to be a 44-year-old British citizen who was at one time on the MI5 terrorist watch list. And for some reason, I don't know how you get taken off that. You behave, you're a good boy for a while, and they take you off the terrorist watch list. So he came into this country with the intention of doing something bad. All right. So I want to just play a short little video because the, the rabbi, uh, Charlie Cintron Walker, has been talking to the press. And, you know, is he a hero? Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyone that refuses to be a victim in this day and age, in my mind, is a hero. So I'm going to put this on the screen and uh, we're going to see, see what he said. Um, we'll share it on the screen here. And he gives us some uh, a couple of... Um, couple of good points is I'm going to put it on the screen now and we'll play it and we'll see what he says. Grateful that we made it out. I'm grateful to be alive. We feel the same, Rabbi. CBS News has learned that the rabbi spoke with President Biden yesterday. He joins us for an interview you're seeing first on CBS Mornings. Rabbi, good morning to you. We are so glad you're safe and able to be with us. You have no idea how happy we are to see you this morning. Kudos to law Thanks. enforcement and negotiators that got you out. And so I want to know how you're processing all of this. I saw interviews with some of your congregation over the weekend that said it was terrifying just watching it. I can't imagine what it was like for you and your fellow hostages to be there. Well, it, it was terrifying. It was overwhelming. Uh, and we're still processing. It's, uh, it's been a lot. It's, um, it, it's completely overwhelming. Yeah, you know, I, I saw interviews with law enforcement officials who were crediting you with being so calm and collected during this time. How were you able to stay calm when you're dealing with someone who doesn't appear to mind dying? I guess you do what you have to do uh, as a part of rabbinic training, as a part of training as, a, as clergy. We talk a lot about the idea of being a calm, non-anxious presence. We do that in hospital rooms. We do that uh, during the most difficult of individual moments. And 
I did the best I could uh, to to do that in uh, throughout the throughout the standoff. Rabbi, as we understand it, the uh, the hostage taker knocked on the glass door of the synagogue, uh, and you thought he might need some shelter, so you let him in, uh, made a cup of tea for him. At what point after that did things turn, and you realized he wasn't here for shelter? When I when I took him in, I stayed with him. Uh, making tea was an opportunity for me to talk with him. And in that moment, I didn't hear uh, anything suspicious. Uh, I, he, in some of his story didn't quite add up, so I was a little bit curious, but that's not necessarily an uncommon thing. It was during prayer um, while we were praying and my back was turned, uh, we faced towards Jerusalem when we pray. Uh, it right right before uh, right before he revealed himself, but this was you know plenty of time in. Um, I heard a click, and it could have been anything, uh, and it turned out that it was his gun. Were you in I any went of over the other hostages? Uh, say that again, please. Sorry. Were you in any of the other hostages ever physically hurt or threatened by this man? Did he harm you physically? Well, I guess we, we, we were threatened the entire time, but we, uh, no, fortunately, fortunately, none of us were, were, were physically um, injured. Yeah, uh, he, he didn't strike. You hear that click. That's got to be absolutely terrifying. I, I've heard you say that the congregation had training not that long ago for a, a situation where someone drew a gun uh, and that that's what saved your life. How so? Well, so for the past few years, uh, we've had training with, uh, a, but it's not training. It's, I guess, courses, uh, instruction uh, with the FBI, with the Colleyville Police Department, with the Anti-Defamation League, uh, with Secure Communities Network. And they, they really uh, teach you in those moments that, yeah, if you're when your life is threatened, you need to do whatever you can to get to safety. You need to do whatever you can to get out. And Rabbi, as he was, oh, go ahead. I, I, sorry, um, when he, the last hour or so of the standup. No, I think this this rabbi is a cool cucumber. He's a hero. He saved himself and the other hostages. The hostage negotiators, uh, initially there were four hostages. Very early on, they were able to get one hostage released, uh, which is usually a negotiating tool. Uh, the hostage uh, negotiators give them food. Uh, they, in this case, they gave them pizza. They gave them water. And as a trade-off, you would say to the hostage taker, uh, we gave you something. Why don't you show good faith and let let one hostage go. And that apparently is, is what occurred. But as you could see, the rabbi is very cool. He's, he's trained. Look, you cannot get this victim mentality that used to be preached a lot, unfortunately, by law enforcement. Anyone that tells you to be a victim, don't go, go to someone else for the advice. Don't ever get that victim mentality. And in hostage taking, it, it's called something else. It's called the Stockholm Syndrome. 
And the Stockholm syndrome is when you start to identify with your captors and you start actually rooting for your captors to succeed. And that's something that people that are taking hostage have to be aware of also. But look, training, one of the things they were doing during this whole situation is they were trying to edge closer and closer to the escape route, to the door. And one of the things I always tell people, I tell my own kids, is that when you go to any location, know where the entrances and the exits are. The, the, um, the exits, the entrances, any means of egress to get out of the, that location, because you may have to get out of there quickly. And if you don't know where the hell you're going, then you got a problem. The rabbi knew this, and his training taught him. He also, they were communicating among the hostages quietly, but they picked uh, good spots to do that. And they started putting furniture in the escape route uh, so that if the hostage taker chased them, he would be thwarted, his path would be thwarted by this furniture. And ultimately, when the uh, rabbi decided it was time to make his move, he threw a chair at the hostage taker, and boom, they all hit the exit door. And they all three escaped uninjured. And then I believe the FBI um, hostage team went in and they engaged in a, 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 a gunfire with the hostage taker, Mr. Uh, Malik Fazel Akram, and he lost the gunfight. All right. So uh, it ended happily. No good guys were hurt or injured. But this is a bit a larger lesson um, to this whole country. And of course, you know, it, uh, Jewish institutions have been targeted uh, across this country uh, in all major cities, and they have to be hyper vigilant for this. And, you know, the police cannot protect you. You know, they cannot. And uh, with the restrictions that have been put on the police in the last few years, they're even less able to protect you because they're discouraged from doing their job by politicians. And then the politicians, when they get situations like this, that is a international story, they jump right on. And, uh, you know, I, I love the expression, um, uh, success has many friends. Failure is very lonely. And if that's not the exact quote, that's my version of it. You know, success has many friends and failure is very lonely. If this was uh, a failure, then no politicians would be talking right now about it. But I just want to say that all these um, institutions, uh, religious institutions, college campuses, you should be ready. When you go to a mall, when you go to a supermarket, you have to be prepared for anything. Because anything can happen these days, you know, and personal protection is something that we really have to uh, be hyper vigilant about. Because as I said, the police have been handcuffed. The police cannot help you as much as they could. And they couldn't help you. You have to help yourself, as that's what I'm saying. You know, my background, uh, besides the NYPD, I have a master's degree in, uh, in security management. And... One of the things I think that, you know, besides knowing all the nuts and bolts of security management, I had one point I had a CPP, which is the highest security classification stands for certified protection professional. But I always felt I didn't need those certifications because I was on the NYPD for 27 years. If I wasn't a security expert from that, then who is, you know? 
can study all the books you want, but I actually, I actually surveilled robbers. I, I surveilled murderers. I took them into custody. If that doesn't make you an expert, I studied the behavior of these people. I knew when to move in, when to back off, and when to when to apply the, the ultimate amount of pressure. Uh, uh, Finley Laurie, our Jewish community has been good to keep a low profile. Buildings don't look like churches, but it shouldn't have to be that uh, way. Prayers, you know, Finley, you're right, but we can't wish that things were a certain way. We have to be realistic and take action and take proper action and protect ourselves and protect our loved ones. And in, in a congregation, whether it's a Christian congregation, whether it's Jewish, whether it's Muslim, you have to protect the people that are in that congregation. Because as I said, uh, D.D. Robert, uh, do I recommend concealed carry permits, especially for women? Listen, I'm a pro. I'm uh, an advocate of the Second Amendment, and I think that if you can obtain a legal firearm, and uh, that's your right under the Constitution, you should carry it. That makes you feel more comfortable. It makes you feel more secure. Because obviously, politicians want the public to be victims because they don't want to put people in prison. They don't want to uh, get the homeless, mentally ill, off the street. So. People have to protect themselves, you know? One of my favorite scenarios, not my favorite, but to tell people, you know, that scenario if a car pulls up to you on the street and points a gun at you and says, get in. I'm going to tell you right now, don't ever get in. Even with the gun pointed at, at that point, scream and run. Because what's the perpetrator going to do? He's going to take off. Or if he, if he fires a shot at you, he's, he's probably going to miss. And I hate to say probably because he could hit you. but if you get in that car, I almost guarantee you, you're getting killed. So that kind of scenario, don't ever get into a car with someone that points a gun at you. That's your point. That is ground zero for screaming and running. You do never, ever, ever get in a car with someone trying to force you into a car. These are little security suggestions I have. Um, you know, I've seen, I've surveilled hundreds and thousands of people probably in my time in anti-crime. We, we actually would look at the behavior of someone on the street that indicated to us that they were about to commit a robbery, a circuitous route in and out of blocks, eyeing passers-by, going into blocks, going into vestibules of buildings. I was trained, and we would set up on people like this. So they wouldn't even know we were out on the street, and we were, we were dressed in plain clothes. We, some of us had beards. Uh, some of us dressed looking like delivery men. We had good concealment. And these guys would commit robberies right in front of us. And boom, we would move in and they were like, oh my God, what the hell happened? They were shocked. That was anti-crime. And I was proud to work in anti-crime for six and a half years. And those six and a half years included one year in street crime. I loved street crime. I would have stayed there forever, but I got promoted to sergeant. And that's what, uh, that's what made me uh, have to leave, uh, have to leave street crime. I, I loved street crime. And then of course, after that, I was a patrol sergeant, again, back back in the mix. And then I was promoted to uh, RIP, which was the robbery investigation program, where I actually had to wear a suit and tie, which felt a little strange. And I was on the Upper West Side, the 2-4 precinct. I was the RIP sergeant from 1995 to 1997. And in 1997, I got transferred to El Barrio, the 2-3 precinct in Spanish Harlem. And at first, I was upset that I was getting transferred. And then I got to the 2-3. And I loved the 2-3. I had the repute there. To me, I had 12 detectives. I was commanding officer of the 2-3 robbery unit. To me, that was the best robbery unit I have ever seen. 
I'm telling when I tell you I had superstars in that rip unit, that rip unit was amazing. Guys were, were hunters. They were like hunters. They they you couldn't get them to wear a suit. No one wore a suit in the two three. They were wearing jeans, sneakers, and the combat clothes. Believe me, and they were going out every day hunting. Some of these guys were making 10, 12 arrests a month. I, I was a shock to me because on the west side, guys were lucky to make one or two arrests a month. In the two three. I was like, oh, my God, 10 arrests, 12 arrests. But I was proud to be the commanding officer of that unit, and I learned a lot about robbery investigation. And when you learn about robberies, believe me, you learn a lot about security because you learn a lot about how the bad guy thinks, sitting in on the interviews, sitting in on the interrogations, listening to these great detectives interview these people, finding out what's in the mind of these guys. I used to sometimes talk to the perps myself. Remember this big strapping guy? He said to me, he goes, man, because I'd just come up behind you. He goes, I'd hit you right in the base of your skull and knock you out, and I'd take everything you have. And I just looked at him and said, I laughed. I go, you'd never get the chance to do that. But, you know, he was a scary guy, scary guy, you know. And that's what's what's out on the street. You know, another thing I wanted to bring up, so we have this, this synagogue thing, and, of course, uh, this is a threat all over the country. Houses of worship, especially uh, synagogues, there's the anti-Semitism uh, all over this country. We have people coming in from across the pond to, uh, and this guy supposedly, this uh, Malik Faisal Akram, he was there to try to take hostages to get the uh, Miss Al Qaeda. Her name was, and her name was um, Afia Siddiqui a Pakistani a militant um, neuroscientist serving an 86-year prison sentence in Fort Worth for killing American soldiers in Afghanistan. Here's a woman who was American-educated, and then she appreciated America so much that she became a terrorist and started killing American soldiers in Afghanistan. So she is serving an 86-year sentence, and he that's why this whole hostage thing was about duty ron thank you brother thank you so much for the five dollar super sticker guys this is um coffee with cannon i like to say a subsidiary i said that word and i didn't st- i didn't stumble upon it a subsidiary of police off the cuff real crime stories and i like to do this show during the daytime all my people across the pond all the people here and it's called coffee with cannon i got my coffee cup here i got my police off the cuff cup there and uh, you can drink whatever you want. You can drink tea. You can drink coffee. There's no requirement as to what you what you should drink. Uh, we have a Patreon. If you want to support us, we have three levels of our Patreon. And also, we have a channel members. And the folks that are in the green font in the chat are all members of our YouTube. And I appreciate you guys so much. Uh, it's it's so important to, to support us. And thank you. Lieutenant Pete. Cheers. Lieutenant Pete is a, a real, and I've said it a million times and I mean it, he's a real legend of the NYPD, a superstar. I'm surprised he didn't stay on longer on the job. I think Lieutenant Pete maybe stayed on 22 years or so, but I know he loved the job, but he probably had other opportunities outside the job. But uh, when you think of the NYPD and you think of Lieutenant Peter Pranzo, that is the NYPD or that was the NYPD, you know? Um, I want to also mention like, we're seeing some horrendous, horrendous uh, acts of crime lately. And 
the reason I say don't ever be a victim is because, for example, in that situation in East Harlem, that poor girl working behind the counter of Burger King, she gave the robber the money and he still killed her. So like, you cannot count on a perpetrator doing something that makes sense. So remember I said, don't ever be a victim. And I mean that. Don't ever be a victim because you don't know what what these people are going to do. You have no idea what they're going to do. I got to remove this. I didn't put the sound on, of course. Um, stop the screen. I'm going to share this. This is showing um, the perpetrator uh, that killed the girl on 116th Street in in the in the Burger King robbery. And let's just look at this guy. This is what's out on the street. You know, uh, watching that, if that doesn't scare you as a uh, citizen of New York City or someone that goes out and about around New York City, that is the type of predator that is out on the street. Not only is he a criminal, but he's an EDP, what's known as an emotionally disturbed person. And again, here's an emotionally disturbed person that's carrying a firearm. And how do you think he's traveling? And I know we harp on this all the time. How do you think he's traveling back and forth to Brooklyn? He's taking the train. And how do you think he's taking the train? Do you think he's paying his fare? <laughs> I would bet almost 100% he's not paying his fare. But what did the politicians do? They took away jumping the turnstile as a misdemeanor. So now the police don't have search incidental to lawful arrest. So a guy like him jumping the turnstile, you could jump up on him, cuff him up. He's under arrest for theft of service. Search him, he's got a firearm. You just you just prevented a robbery homicide. But guess what? The politicians don't want that. They want people to jump the turnstile. You know, they took these tools away. You know, politicians need to be called out. They really do, because they're responsible for much of the violence that we're seeing in this city. Uh, the city council, horrendous in this city, horrendous. They need to be called out, you know, uh, because... They're enacting laws that protect these. This guy Bragg, the new district attorney, I'm going to call him out as long as I can breathe and as long as he's the district attorney, I'm going to continue to call this guy out. And if you noticed, he did that 10-page uh, memo to his staff, which he was very proud of until he wasn't. He wasn't proud of it after he got called out. All of a sudden, he started doing some backpedaling. 
Oh, I didn't mean that. No, you did mean it. It's you wrote it. You wrote it down. If you said it, maybe we could say you didn't say it. But guess what? I have it right here. I have the I have the ten page memo that you wrote as a result of your policies. About I heard about thirty senior district attorneys quit. They can't work for you. They're prosecutors. You're a panderer. You know you're looking at something called decarceral policies. That's no punishment. That's that's not putting people in prison, not putting people in jail. Disgraceful. And as the people that live in this city are, are preyed upon by the criminal element, you're going to take these decarceral policies, which I don't know where you got them from, but they're horrendous. Yesterday also, a couple of days ago, uh, we had a woman, an Asian woman, which Asians have been preyed upon in this city, their bias attacks. She was pushed on the tracks in Times Square, and she was killed. So when I talk about being super vigilant, one of the things that you really have to be aware of in your surroundings, when you're going to ride the subway, look around you. You see an EDP, get away from them. That stands for emotionally disturbed person. In fact, the NYPD even coddled that down even more to calling it emotionally distressed person. No, emotionally disturbed. They're disturbed. Basically, they're mentally ill people all over the subway. But if you're waiting for a train, do not stand anywhere near those tracks because you have people like this that will shove you onto the tracks and kill you, which is what happened. And whether uh, being Asian was what targeted this woman, it's a, it's a distinct possibility because Asians have been targeted all this year, uh, the past year. And it's a bias attack. Let's share the screen. I'm going to play a little bit of this. Times Square subway station. Just after 9.30 this morning, police say a man pushed an Asian woman into a moving train, killing her. CBS 2's Kieran Dillon is live tonight at the scene with the very latest. Kieran? Jessica, the police commissioner is calling this a senseless act of violence. We know the victim is a 40-year-old woman from right here in the city who is now dead after she was fatally pushed onto subway tracks earlier today. This incident was unprovoked and the victim does not appear to have had any interaction with the subject. Saturday, Police Commissioner Keyshawn Sewell and Mayor Eric Adams joined MTA Acting Chair Jano Lieber to condemn the violence that took the life of a 40-year-old Asian-American woman. This is a sad day. A New Yorker was going about her business right in the heart of our city, in the heart of our subway system in Times Square, and she lost her life. Police say it happened at the Times Square station around 9.40 in the morning Saturday. It's alleged a man shoved a 40-year-old Asian woman onto the southbound Q train tracks. She was fatally struck. Before that, police allege he was also taunting another woman who was able to escape unharmed. He approaches her. He gets uh, in her space. She gets very raised up, very alarmed. She tries to move away from him and he gets close to her and she feels that he was about to physically push her onto the train. As she's walking away, uh, she witnesses uh, the crime where he pushes the other or other victim in front of the train. Police say after the incident, the suspect turned himself in. He is known to police with a record of three prior emotionally disturbed incidents. Officials add there was a warrant out for his arrest for allegedly violating parole in connection to a previous robbery. I find it very disheartening to see this. It's a sign to me that the city is starting to fray. 
Last week, the mayor and governor announced a joint safety plan to make the subway system safer. It includes teams of trained mental health professionals working to get the homeless off the subways, as well as bringing desk officers and patrol cops into the system. That will free up transit cops to ride trains. The mayor is now reiterating that plan. We're going to continue to do everything that's possible to make our subway system safe. So police have yet to release the identity of the victim. Her family is still being notified of her death. We are live tonight in Times Square. Kieran Dillon, CBS 2 News. Horrendous, you know, horrendous. What's going to stop this? You know what's going to stop it? Change of policy. I've heard that whole thing before. They're going to take desk officers off the desk. Bullshit, you're not. And you're not taking inside people and putting them out on the street. That's all nonsense. You do that for a day or two, and then... The, the inside, the, ha the house mice is what they're known to, to other cops. They start complaining, and the bosses inside miss their house mice, and they want them back in. So they pull them back off the street where they don't belong anyway because they don't know what they're doing. And uh, But it sounds good. It sounds good to tell the public those lies. But, you know, the policy is what has to change. The, you heard that this guy is an EDP, right? Pushes a woman onto subway, kills her, and he's got a warrant for robbery. I have I want to ask everyone in the chat and how many people if you don't think he paid his fare to get on the subway system put a 1 in the chat and if you think he did pay his fare put a 2 in the chat I just, I'm just curious I'm just curious you know do you think see that's one of the things that we harp upon all the time as broken windows style police officers is that that is broken windows at its best yeah, enforce a lower-level crime like a theft of service, a misdemeanor. And this this mope, I'm going to use an old-fashioned police word, this mope, this mentally ill EDP arrest warrant for robbery wouldn't be on the subway system. I guess you guys are all putting ones in the chat, so you, you don't think he paid his fare either, you know? I, get, I, I, I agree. I don't think there's any chance he paid his fare. So that's how you get these types off the subway. They're in the system to commit crimes. They're in the system to prey upon people. Politicians, politicians listen. We got to get more politicians listening uh, to Coffee with Cannon and to Police Off the Cuff because I can educate you. Politicians, you need to be called out. The city council, you're a disgrace. You know, all you woke, woke politicians. And you know, Eric Adams, he's he, he's he's getting baptized by fire. You know, and he doesn't need to come on to every single crime scene, you know, because there's going to be so many crime scenes, Eric, that you're not going to be able to do your job if you're at every damn crime scene. You have a police commissioner. Let her handle it. You know, you don't belong there. You weren't at major jobs when you were a cop, so don't be at major jobs when you're a mayor. Let the police commissioner handle it. I think she's very competent, and I believe she really can handle it. And if you let the police work, you let the police do their job, you you make something called stop, question, and frisk, not something that the press goes, oh, my God. Stop. And they call it stop and frisk, which they do on purpose uh, to malign the police. It's called stop, question, and frisk, all you amateur journalists. It's called stop, question, and frisk. Do not get rid of 33% of it because it fits your narrative. You let the police use stop, question, and frisk. You bring back jumping the turnstile as a misdemeanor theft of service we can get rid of a lot of this stuff. Oh, violence interrupters, social workers in the subway, stop. Stop it. That's ridiculous, all right? 
used to have transit, homeless outreach. Yeah, remove them from the trains. Trains are not tents. They're not log homes. People do not belong living on these subway trains. People pay to ride these subway trains. A vibrant city needs the people riding back and forth for commerce, for capitalism, to get people to work, to get them home. So people don't belong living on there. People don't belong having 20 boxes on the trains that with bull weevils and rats and all kinds of animals in these. It's disgusting. But this is a society that allows this. It allows it. You can see I'm getting... <laughs> This show is supposed to be called Coffee with Cannon. Again, today it turned into Bitchin' with Bill, you know. But I'm passionate about this. I'm passionate about safety. I'm passionate about uh, defending people. Uh, and, and that's so, so important for the city to be uh, a vibrant city, to the city to be a safe city. We have to let the police do their job. We have to let them do their job and protect the people. And one of the most important things that they need to protect is, of course, the subway system. Because if people don't feel safe to get around, not everyone can afford to take an Uber, you know? Not everyone can afford to take a taxi cab. And during the daytime, uh, you know, a taxi cab averages about 12 miles an hour on the New York City streets. So the subway system is a, a much, much better way to get around. Uh Peter Pranzo, thank you, Lieutenant Pranzo. It's all good, Bill. It, it means you care. Absolutely. And you know something? We're trying to spread the word on this show because we are passionate. And you know something? I don't have to watch. I can criticize politicians. I'm not, I'm not on the job anymore, you know? And I can criticize the responses. And, and when I see something that uh, is part of this whole woke culture that doesn't work, that flies in the face, and you know, we had a mayor for eight years. His name was de Blasio. He was a disaster, a disaster. And now we got a new mayor who came in talking a good game. Let's see if he does anything. Because once he starts meeting resistance by the progressives, by the woke people, he may back off. He may back off and not be the law and order mayor. He may just be the mayor, you know. Uh, so it's important. You know, all of this stuff is so, so important. Uh, protecting people. Look, no one loves New York City more than I do. I mean, I, and I think it's important uh, for people to be safe where they live, where they work. People, New York City is a huge tourist mecca. Times Square, the theater district, you know, it's sort of all been put on hold. Concerts, you know, all of those, Madison Square Garden, all of these great things in Manhattan, you know. Brooklyn has had, had a revitalization, you know. A revitalization, I should say. I'm talking with my New York accent again. Uh, all of these things are so, so important. And the number one thing is public safety. Because if you don't keep the public safe, then you don't have a city, you know? Uh, Duty Ron used some Italianism. He said the mayor is a jagaloon. I'm not sure I'm familiar with that. Uh, I'll put it up on the screen so you can see how it's spelled. Maui Swift, good to see you in the chat. Always great to see you, Maui. You saw me in my um, my after the spin class the other day, and you gave me a thumbs up. But I know you're a big runner. You're always running races. I see you post this stuff. My running day—I used to be a good runner many, many years ago. But my, my running days are over with a new hip, and potentially I probably need another hip. Maybe this year I'm starting to feel a lot of pain. Uh, 
Hello to all my channel members. Richella Pranzo, great to see you. Kathy Bates, Darlene Dunlop. Uh, how many violence interrupters uh, and or social workers would be killed before they change that rhetoric? Uh, you know something? It's a bad idea. Uh, it's not going to work. They need to back the police. Don't forget the New York City police were defunded by $1 billion, billion with a B, dollars by de Blasio. So whether they'll come back with that money to refund the police, let's get them funded again, bring back anti-crime, bring back uh, proactive policing. Kathy Bates, good to see you. Pauline Buckles, uh, great to see all you guys. Christo Sidor, congrats, outstanding in the field, laugh out loud, love it. Um, Marie Green, always good to see you, Marie Green. Formerly of formerly of Belfast, now of England. <laughs> it's great to do what he runs laughing. I probably had his Jagaloon comment. Uh, Deborah Barron, great to see you. You were a runner. Uh, factual breakdown, great to see you. Um, trying to get to all you guys. Lorna McKenzie, um, I love doing shout outs to you guys. One time someone said to me, I don't like when you do that. I said, well, then you should change channels because. I'm going to keep doing that. Uh, Duty Ron, thank you so much, buddy, for the $5 super chat. You're a big uh, supporter of Coffee with Cannon, police off the cuff, real crime stories. Uh, we're working hard. You know, I'm trying to be creative and come up. Oh, you know, I, I almost forgot. Wednesday night, uh, 7 p.m., we have the great conservative writer, Heather McDonald, a uh, brilliant woman. She's been all on every news station as she wrote a book called The War on Cops. And she can express uh, what I'm expressing here, but in a much more articulate manner than I do. You know, I'm a little more street than she is. She's got a law degree. I think she's a graduate of Yale. Yeah, I, I came up from NASA community, Buffalo State College, and John Jay got my master's, but no law degree. I never went to Yale, but I got a PhD in street. <laughs> And she probably doesn't have that. But she's coming on the show Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. And we're going to take another shot at, um, we're going to talk about uh, the new DA, Alvin Bragg, and what that means, what his policies mean toward New York City, and what his policies mean to the people living here, and what his policies mean to the uh, financial uh, success of New York City or lack thereof. Because you know something, when crime gets crazy, guess what happens to the major corporations? They start to move out of New York City. Yeah, they start leaving. And if that happens, you can blame it on uh, Alvin Bragg, you know, and uh, it could happen. He's got, you know, he's got the next four years. New York, New York doesn't have a, a recall uh, system like they do in California. You know what I just heard today, and I didn't read it, but, and I had thought of it. I hear in California, the um, police are starting to take some of their cases to the feds because the regular DA won't prosecute the cases like they should be. So they take them to the federal government. I think that's a brilliant idea. Maybe we should start doing it here too. Oh, really? A robbery with a gun? You're going to plea it down to a, a pettit larceny? Now we're going to bring this case to the feds. You, you see how fast he changes. We start bringing these cases to the feds and they prosecute them to the level that they should be prosecuted at. You know? So- as you could see, I'm passionate about this stuff and uh, a lover of New York City. Uh, and I, this can't stand. This cannot stand. And people will push back. They will push back on Alvin Bragg. He's already doing a backward tap dance 
saying he didn't say that, he didn't say this. But guess what, Alvin? You wrote you wrote it down. It's in a 10-page memo. I have it right here. So and all your denials, you wrote it down. I don't know if you guys saw um, yesterday I had Yael Bartur, a pretty Israeli, who um, – can you even say that someone's pretty these days or is that uh, – is that okay? I'm from old school. Anyway, Yael Bartur, she was a great guest. She wrote that great article that was um, published in Newsweek. It was great to have her on the on the show yesterday. Um, she's really smart. She's articulate. I'd like to have her on again in the future. And her friend – Nancy Rommelman, another uh, great author who um, spent a year undercover in Portland with Antifa. She's got a great story, too. Um, so, Snow Lion, our mayor is a jagaloon, too. My city is doomed. Everything is set only to promote the expansion of a maintenance of the culture of drug addicts and homelessness. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not familiar with jagaloon, but I sort of like it. It's a sort of a, a friendly, nice, without using the F-bomb, it's a nice term. It's a nice word that uh, maybe I'll include it in my future uh, vocabulary. You know. Uh, so, guys, I'm coming up on um, 41 minutes. Usually, I, you know, I get carried away. Sometimes I say I only do 35 minutes, and I say, and I try to limit 45 as the shutoff point. And I always seem to go further than I wanted to go. Guys, uh, coffee with Cannon. It turned into bitching with Bill, but I, I think you guys appreciate that too. And I'm. Uh, I'm so happy you guys uh, are here and listen to me. You listen to my bitching, to my ranting, and coffee with Cannon uh, when it turns into bitching with Bill. So, guys, thank you so much for paying attention. And um, this has been Coffee with Cannon. I want all you guys to stay safe. I'm going to play, you know, at the end, I'm going to play our, uh, this is one of our new tunes. People tell me they like the old one better, and I'll take a, a little poll the next time. But this is it, this is swing of the police off the cuff song and i'm just going to play it as an outro today 